to God's Word, to the New Testament, to Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. I'm going to read from verse 13 through to verse 16. Mark chapter 10 from verse 13 through to verse 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Lord, this is your word. We receive it. We accept it. Help us to understand it and to apply it and to be doers as well as hearers. For we ask it in your name. Amen. I guess how we see things is important, the perspective that we're coming from. I think too often we come to something with our minds made up, and we judge everything by what we already think. Now, what we're doing here is what we should be doing every time we come to Scripture, which is saying, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And we are listening not for Jesus to reinforce our prejudices, but we are listening to hear what Christ wants us to hear, to hear what Christ thinks, and to grasp things from His perspective. And that is particularly true as we look at this, the whole question of children, because it raises so many different issues. Uh, this uh, month's coming monthly record, for example, that deals with the question of those who are unable to have children and who would long to have children, and uh, we, that, that's something that we pray for and something that we need to be conscious of. There are also situations, different cultures regard children in different ways. Um, it comes to perspective and attitude. In our culture, children are generally regarded as cute. If you want to sell something, if you want to appeal in a charity, show a picture of a small child who's really suffering. Uh, children are, are, are seen in that way. They used to make us feel sympathy. Uh, some, some of you know, we've just come back from New York, and uh, the part of New York that we were staying in, the kind of Upper West Side it's just a bizarre culture. It's a great culture. I love it. But um, bizarre, it's just, I'm, I was totally fascinated by the way dogs are treated. You've got to have a designer dog. Dogs have perms. I saw a dog with a hoodie, which was just absolutely brilliant. Um, and and they had, dogs even have servants. There's certain times of day that the servants are out walking the dogs. And at the same time, you'll often find that the nannies are out walking the children, and the children are very often immaculate designer children as well. And sometimes I feel that that's an attitude that we have towards children. Sometimes it's almost as though children are like designer accessories saying a lot about us and our status. If you have 10 children, whoa, something wrong with you. If you have one or two, and you know, they're just perfect, then that's, that's great. That's not really how, of course, we should regard children. Sometimes we spoil and worship children. It's interesting how many Christians will justify not serving Christ because of their children. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense from a biblical perspective, but it just does sound good. 
people draw up a conflict between God's family and their own family. Now, in the Jewish culture of this time, it's important to realize this, in the Jewish culture of this time, uh, children were not regarded all that highly. And what I mean by that is this, that it was a very patriarchal culture. It all focused around men. And the whole point about children was little boys were going to grow up to be men, but they should be ignored until then. Little girls were just going to grow up to be women, and women should probably be ignored anyway. Um, that's not my view, by the way, for those of you who've just woken up. That's, I'm, that's, that was very much part of the culture there. Now, what Jesus does here is he's challenging that culture because children were considered unimportant. Like, you know, you'd have a meeting, uh, and if this was a church meeting, they'd have a synagogue meeting. If the children were allowed in at all, they would be, if it was an upstairs, they'd be upstairs with the women. Children were generally regarded as a nuisance. You don't want children around. Now, that, of course, that attitude exists with uh, many of us, some, well, some of us anyway, uh, as well. But Jesus challenges that. First of all, back in chapter 9, Mark 9, verse 36, we read this. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Now, what Jesus does there is it's really ex- extraordinarily radical because the disciples are arguing amongst themselves, who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus takes a little child and says, Do you see this child that you're completely ignoring? You've got to welcome him. That's how you'll know who'll be the greatest. And then in this chapter... people are bringing little children to Jesus. Luke's version of it describes them as babies to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuke them. And Jesus is actually indignant about this. This comes after his teaching on marriage and divorce and the importance, just again, he's looking at the importance of children. It could be, the word that's used here by Mark is a word that means from child to, uh, from baby right the way up to 12 years old. It could be that this is also reflecting a Jewish tradition that children were brought to rabbis on the Day of Atonement for blessing. The people are bringing Jesus to have him touch them. That was to be the blessing. We uh, probably don't quite have the same understanding of, of touch and what was involved. It's not some kind of sacrament, but it's just a, a way of, of placing hands upon somebody that was very common in that culture as an indication of blessing. The disciples, though, don't accept this, and they rebuke, presumably, the women who are bringing these small children. They rebuke them. And the response of Jesus is extraordinary. This is the only time this word is used in Mark's gospel because of its depth of intensity of emotion. Jesus was indignant. It means he was furious with his disciples. You know, we we have this image of Jesus, don't we? Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. And we have this image of Jesus as nothing upsets Jesus. Nothing really gets to Jesus. He's like Mr. Cool and Mr. Nice Guy. But he was really angry at this. He was furious at this. 
So we're going to look at that, and we're going to see how we can learn from all of this. I think the key thing is the hindering in verse 14. Don't hinder them. Back in chapter 9 and verses 38 through to 41, there was another incident where the disciples were hindering somebody who wanted to come to Jesus. And I think we have to be really, really careful. Very often in the church, what we've tried to do is create good order, and to prevent that good order being disturbed, we hinder people from coming to Christ. The New Testament church does it very differently. People are encouraged to come to Christ, and then when they're within the Christian family, that's when the order and the discipline and sorting things out comes about. We've often just given this impression that, that people can't come to Christ until they've reached a certain level of um, social respectability or religious respectability or even some kind of moral perfection. But that is not the case in the New Testament church, and it's not the case with Christ. It's ironic that so much of the 21st century hinders people from coming to Christ, and then when we say that we are Christian, we turn a blind eye to a lot of our own uh, foibles and sins. It's reality within the context of the covenant community that we should be dealing with these things. So I want to look, first of all, at the hindrances that belong in, in terms of people coming to Christ. There's a few verses I'm going to quote that I've just put up on the screen. What are the hindrances that prevent us bringing children to Jesus? I'm just going to list some of them. First is the most obvious one, when we think that little children do not matter. They are not so important. That is just so wrong in so many ways. Um, we, if you meet somebody uh, and you're, you're speaking to the person you consider to be important, it is really important that children are not set up as little saints or little princesses or little princes, but they are, are treated as human beings and are treated with respect. We hinder children when we think that they are too young to learn about God or that they won't understand. That's just such a major, major error. I know parents, even Christian parents, who've said about their children, age 7, 8, 9, 10, said, well, we'd like them to make up their own minds, so we're not going to tell them anything. Now, you think how stupid a comment that is. We'd like our children to understand physics or maths, but we're not going to tell them any of it. That doesn't make sense. We've bought into the agenda of the world, which is, oh, no, you can't tell children anything like that because that's brainwashing them. No, it's not. It's training up a child in the way they should go. And whatever you say, your child is going to be trained in some way or other. And would you prefer them to be trained in the ways of the world or in the ways of Jesus Christ? Now, that should be a no-brainer, but it is incredible how parents who would never tolerate their child saying, I don't like potatoes and I don't like vegetables and I'm going to live off rice cream for the rest of my life. You'd never tolerate that when they say, I don't want to go to church and I don't like hearing the Bible. You say, oh, I don't want to force it on you. What are you saying? What, even by saying that, what kind of message are we giving? Children are, are never too young to learn about God. And why is that? Because we're all human beings, we've all got minds, we all learn things continually. 
And in fact, a child learns quicker and grows faster than uh, at any time of a human life. I think that that has been a major, major hindrance to lots of people. Now, we're not talking about indoctrination and brainwashing in the sense of, you know, hammering things into a child and telling them, now, don't think about this, but you've just got to accept this. Of all people, Christians should be encouraging children to think and to question. But they need to have the information. Sometimes I think we hinder children when we think we are protecting others. The disciples wanted to protect Jesus. It, is, it becomes a kind of, you know, we have this kind of idea, particularly about church, that well, church, it should be in a certain way. And, and the last thing you want is children disturbing things. You know, it's like a, a, a mother comes in with a young baby and they get so embarrassed if their child starts making a noise in the church. Now, if your child's screaming so loud that it's drowning me out, that's not a blessing. Take the child out. <laughs> but generally, children don't do that. You know, children whimper away and make noises and, and things like that. Well, it's, it's actually not the children that are the problem. It's the older members of the congregation who then turn around and go, 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 you know, like that, and, and are not listening themselves. That's not the child's fault. It's the, it's the adults need a good slap. Oops, sorry. Just to try and... <laughs> be done for my sins. But just to try and think... But, I mean, it should just be normal. It should be normal that, that we would expect, if there are children, they're not always going to sit perfect. They're not always going to be completely quiet. They have to be trained, if you like, to do that, but we would never turn away somebody because um, their child wasn't absolutely perfect. When we're preoccupied with other things, that will, children just don't have that much of a priority for us. But look at Jesus. He was on his way to the cross. He had a whole lot of other things on his mind, but he was perfectly happy, indeed delighted, in welcoming the children who were brought to him. When we can't be bothered and we don't bring them. For me, it is an enormous burden that there are something like 30,000 children under the age of 14 in this city who are growing up without knowing anything about Jesus, and we can be bothered. I mentioned Bruce and the work that's done in the attic. It's fantastic that uh, over 100 kids from the hill town and elsewhere that they go around and pick up in the bus and uh, Many, many of these children actually have become Christians. But in general, we can't be bothered. Who wants to be hassled? Like our Monday club. What a hassle that is, eh? That's just, you know, and, and, and so many things. You know, ch- children just have this, they don't fit in with our very neat plans. Children just really get in the way. And a lot of us really want to say that. We're just, they're just kind of a nuisance. You know, you get in a train and it's full of children. You go, oh no, that's, instead of, I think we're like that in, in terms of society, and we just don't see the need. We can't be bothered with bringing them to Christ. I met a man a couple of weeks ago uh, we had, when we had the sale in there, and it was fantastic because he came in and he's, he said to me, he started telling me some of the Christian songs that he knew. I said, how do you know them? Oh, Discovery Camp. He said, in fact, I think I was at a Discovery Camp with you in the old days. And I mean, this guy had a really interesting history, really interesting story. But you know what got me was he just said, I know that it's true. And he'd been taught these things as a child. 
And they still remained with him, the songs and some of the, the teachings and so on. Now, it doesn't always work like that. There's a very uh, committed socialist activist in Dundee who actually comes from Brora. And he said, David, I remember when you came to Brora, you started up a Monday club. And he says, the only good thing you did in that was teach us how to play chess. He said, I've kept the chess. I've rejected all the rubbish about God. Now, I feel really, really sorry for the guy. But actually, in one sense, although he's rejected, it's still there and it still irks him and it still annoys him. And I'm praying for him. And and, um, hopefully we're going to meet up in the not too distant future. You're, You're sowing a huge amount of seed. You don't know how it's going to turn out. But... We, we have to be bothered. We hinder children coming to God when we let children dictate. What do you call a child who dictates to their parents everything that they want to do, that they want to eat, where they want to go? They're spoiled. And we have the same thing when we let children dictate. We hinder children coming to Jesus when we have so little faith in God, his word, and his spirit that we think we should brainwash, manipulate, and control children. I've sometimes seen Christian work done in that way. I've seen it when, when the kids are almost manip- I remember one evangelist, he would go to this village, and every year in the village he would write in his newsbook, in his newsletter, that he had 30 or 40 converts. And it was a small village in the Highlands. And you'd think, that must be the most godly village in the world. Everyone must become Christians. No, it wasn't. He held a kids' club. And at the end of the club, he always asked the children on the last Friday, who'd like to give their lives to Jesus? And they'd put their hands up because they really liked the guy. They'd give them a good week. He'd give them a good week. They'd had lots of sweets and all that kind of stuff. And it was the polite thing to do because he wanted it. He didn't have 30 or 40 converts. We don't need to manipulate children. We just need to teach them. And show them who Jesus is. I think we hinder Jesus, uh, children coming to Jesus if we make no provision for them in the church. And sometimes that is the case. It's, isn't the isn't creche a hassle? And even Sunday school and all the pain that's involved in that. Pain? Is that not a bit dramatic? Well, you'd think it was pain by the reaction that people have sometimes to being asked to do it. That's not a hassle. It's a wonderful opportunity. A wonderful opportunity. We make provision. We hinder children when we do not pray for them. We should be praying. You should think of all the children. When uh, children are baptized here in the church or children are brought, when we make a promise that we will care for those children and we need to pray for the children continually, continually throughout our lives. Just take all the children that are in the church here. There's not that many. You could pray for each one every week. What a difference it would make to their lives. And then the last thing I want to say about this, maybe it's a little bit more um, controversial for some of you, but just hang with this, okay? I, I think we hinder children to coming to Christ when we don't baptize them. Now, I, I accept that you can't go from this verse uh, saying this teaches infant baptism. It does not, and I'm not going to say that it does, at least not directly. However, there's a strong indirect argument in favor of infant baptism. And it's tied in with two things. First of all, in 1 Corinthians 7.14, we're told there that the children of believers are holy. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. The children of one believer, one parent might not be a Christian, the other might, but if there is one parent who is a Christian, the children in that family are holy. They are set apart for God. 
And to my mind, that is such an overwhelming verse. It really struck me. I was a member in Morningside Baptist Church teaching children. And when I read that verse, it had a huge impact on me because I thought the children of believers are holy. They are set apart for God. Again, some people want to say, it doesn't make any difference. God loves everyone the same, whether you're brought up in a Christian home or not. Actually, it does make a difference. You have an enormous advantage being brought up in a Christian home. And I think that we need to regard our children as holy. Uh, There are Christians who bring up their children basically as little sinners, even little devils. You know, they just long for them and want them to be converted because then their behavior is going to be perfect. They're waiting until... But sometimes if you do that as a parent, you're going to put enormous psychological pressure on your child. What instead if you brought up your children in faith that they were holy to God, that you don't know when they're going to become believers, you, you believe that in God's grace they will. Um, sometimes you know that that doesn't happen, but nonetheless you are bringing them up as holy. Household baptisms, the majority of baptisms in the New Testament are household. The Jews were used to bringing their children both in circumcision and in proselyte baptism. The early church had no doubt that these verses did apply to baptism because of the use of the word hinder. You see there Acts 8.36, the Ethiopian eunuch. Here is water. Why, should I, why shouldn't I be baptized? Or the, the old AV translation carries, uses the same word here as what's hindering me? What hinders me from being baptized? Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Can anyone hinder them? And the early church took those words hinder in those two verses and also here and said, well, we don't, want to, we don't hinder children. Now, I'm not going to lay a major stress on the whole um, baptism thing, but just for those of you who think that infant baptism is wrong and unbiblical, Christians have argued about that for a long, long time, and we're going to continue to argue. And in this church, we, we, have, we allow, of course, differences of opinion of it. But those of us who believe that we should baptize children, it's not just tradition. It's not we want the weighing done. It's done because we believe it's biblical and we believe it's biblical because we believe baptism is like circumcision because we believe that children belong to the church and they should receive the sign of belonging to the church in the hope that one day they will also receive the thing signified, which is regeneration, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Whatever... It must be the case that whether you're of a Baptist persuasion and you dedicate the child or a paedo-Baptist persuasion, we, we both of us, that we, we regard children as belonging and as being part of God's church. How do we bring children to Jesus then? Let me just mention three things other than the baptism I've already mentioned. First of all, the primary responsibility is parents but also other relatives and, of course, the church. The disciples were meant to bring children to Jesus. We are meant to bring children to Jesus Christ. What about your neighbors? Isn't that annoying if, if you know, you're going to church and you have to pick up another child? Isn't church just about you and your family? No, it's not. It's not just about you and your family. It was the case. Let me just tell you a change that's happened in Scottish culture. In the 19th century, Sunday schools were an innovation. In fact, when McShane had a Sunday school here, he was reported to presbytery for having an innovation. Things don't change much in the church. uh, Because Sunday schools were used to teach children to read and write. 
They weren't used to teach them the Bible. It was assumed that they would be being taught the Bible at home. But Sunday schools, and that they would hear it in church, but Sunday schools were used to teach children to read and write because actually many kids by the time they were 10, 11 years old were going to work in the mills and so on. Those two holes through there were a school for children. Uh, and they met in, it was a school that mainly met at night. Over 300 girls who worked in the mills were registered there. Why should a girl bother to read and write? Because that was the attitude. But it wasn't the attitude of the church. Well, we, what's happened in this culture is that um, that changed. And Sunday schools then became the primary means of teaching children the Bible. And in the beginning of the 20th century and through much of the 20th century, it was normal for children to go to Sunday school. In fact, it was the number one way that the Church of Scotland and other churches used in terms of um, evangelizing. But then things began to change in the 1950s and 1960s. People took children along to Sunday school, but you began to get parents who would bring the children and go away. They never really came themselves. And sometimes you'd get the mother just come and the father would just stay stay at home because there were a lot of other things to do on Sunday. There wasn't really a real saving faith. Sunday school was kind of like a good thing to go to and there wasn't much else for the kids to do. There wasn't the Sunday football and all the other things. So pack them off to church. And I remember when I first began in the ministry that that, uh, even up in Brora, uh, a lot of the parents were very, very happy to see their kids go off to Sunday school at 10 o'clock in the morning Kids often dress themselves and parents would just have an extra wee while in bed. But now what's happened, of course, is that many of the kids are saying, well, actually, we don't need Sunday school because we've got PlayStation and we've got TV and we've got lots of other things. And Sunday's the big day for shopping. And Sunday in Dundee is the big day for kids' sport. So what's the point of Sunday school? And we've almost gone back to a situation where Sunday school has become almost just for, for children growing up in, in Christian homes. And in actual fact, Sunday school attendance in Scotland in the past decade has just gone right down, way, way, way down, down by something like 95%. Well, what do we say about that? Is, is the Sunday school the be-all and the end-all? No, it's not. But bringing children to Jesus is. And maybe Sunday school is a really good way for them to learn. And maybe it's really important that we bring children to church. In fact, one of the ironic things that we've done in the church is we've almost said to children, church is not for you, Sunday school is. And when you grow out of Sunday school, they're not used to going to church. It's little wonder you often find that Christian parents have brought up their children not to go to church. It's a really strange thing, but it's happened. And I think that we, we need to reverse and to change that attitude. It is the primary responsibility of parents, but also the church as a whole. George MacDonald said this, I do not believe in a man's Christianity if the children are never to be seen playing at his door. There was something very attractive about Jesus Christ to children. And there should, there should be something very attractive about us as Christians to children. I mean, we may live in this strange, perverted, twisted, and suspicious world where Adults speaking to children is automatically regarded with suspicion. That's just wrong. Say hi to the kids on your street. Say hello to your next door neighbor's kids. And when they come knocking on your door asking for the umpteenth time if they can get their cricket ball back, you can guess what nationality our neighbors are, then, then don't go, oh, just, just be kind to them. 
And really, children need encouragement. They need spiritual training. We need to teach our children the things of the Lord. We will not hide them from our children, says Psalm 78, verse 4. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, the power and the wonders he has done. Our children need to be taught, and they are not going to be taught Bible in school. See, again, that's a big change. The change is that 50 years ago, even 50 years ago, you would have been taught Bible in school. That's not going to happen in most places now. So they're going to have to be taught it in the home, going to have to be taught it in the church, at home, Sunday school, and church together. There's spiritual training. How else do we bring children to, to Jesus? We love them. We love them, and because we love them, we welcome them. Again, think about Jesus' anger here. Why was he so angry? I've uh, told this story before, but it did have a big impression on me. In Brora, there was a lady who really objected to the fact that there were a whole bunch of new kids coming to the church. They did not know how to behave. They weren't used to pews. They weren't used to sitting still. They would run up and down. Um, it, was, it wasn't a riot, but occasionally it was a little bit more boisterous than had been expected. And one Sunday I was standing at the door with an elder who was from Lewis and he was as quiet as a mouse. He was the shyest, most gracious, gentle man you'd ever meet in your life. I'd never seen him angry. He was a fervent Scottish nationalist and he wanted to blow up the statue of the Duke of Sutherland on top of above Galsby, which was an interesting theological discussion at the session once. But apart from that, I'd never ever seen him wound up or upset. And one lady came in and she just mumbled under her breath. This place is turning into a circus. And I, 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 didn't, I wasn't quite sure what to say. And he spoke. And his face was red. He was so angry. He said, listen, you and I both know what it was like. We had peace in this church, but it was the peace of the graveyard. There was nobody here. We never want to see that again. And I thought, oh, good for you. And remind me not to get in your way again. It was just, it was, it was just great. And I, but you know, he was, that, that's really, the, that's the attitude of Jesus. Let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them. He's not, he's angry with the disciples for doing that. We need to have such a love for children that it actually really upsets us if they're not here. Okay, one other thing I want to say, and that is concerned with this, because Jesus then goes on to talk about the attitude that we are to have in terms of how we ourselves become Christians. How do we come to Jesus? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is what really matters. The kingdom of God belongs to the children. Why? Why does he say that? Because Christ is accepting the children, not because of any intrinsic qualities in them, not because of any status that they have, but because of their need. A child will often have humility. Sometimes, of course, a child is an exhibitionist, and it's usually the adults who encourage that. But most children do not think in terms of place and pride and prestige. Um, there's a dreadful program called Desperate Housewives, which is actually very clever and very satirical and done very, very well. And I have to confess, I do watch it. But... Um, there's uh, something going on in Desperate Housewives just now where this very, very posh Mexican lady who just, her whole life is about buying things, you know, and she's come across, cut a long story short, she's come across a daughter she didn't know she had who lives with another poorer Mexican couple. And 
she wants to give the child a $1,500 Chanel handbag because she never had these things when she was little. And the child is... is um, the child has no idea what that means, really. It's adults who think that certain things are of greater value. It's adults who think in terms of place and pride and prestige. Children generally do not. They have to be taught that. A child doesn't care if they've got designer shoes until you tell them what designer shoes are, until you tell them how important they are if they have designer shoes. Then they learn. But naturally, instinctively, that's not what a child thinks. A child may not seem like this way to some of you who are parents, but the natural instinct for a child is to obey and to trust and to accept authority and to have confidence in other people. Of course, that's why we want to train them to do the opposite. Don't speak to that stranger. Don't do that. A child has a short memory, doesn't bear grudges and nourish bitterness. And I know you're going to say, well, when I was young, my parents slapped me and that's just warped me for life. No, it hasn't. The person who told you that has warped you for life. Children generally have very, very short memories. Don't bear grudges and nourish bitterness. They're weak and helpless and in society's eyes, very often unimportant. And that's why Jesus takes a child and says, you have to become like a child because you're not looking for pride. You're not uh, looking for prestige. You're not looking for influence. I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. To receive the kingdom of God like a little child is not to be childish. It is to allow yourself to be given the kingdom of God. To know that we can't claim it as a right. To know that we can't earn it. To know like look at Nicodemus in John chapter 3, where he's taught by Jesus, unless you are born from above, unless you are born again by the Holy Spirit of God, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. So when you come and ask, how do we enter the kingdom of God? You can't. You can't. You're a highly learned theologian, a highly respected religious leader. You have to come as a baby. This is stressing not the virtues of childhood, but rather the helplessness. We have no credit, no claims, no clout with God. The gospel is never earn this. The gospel is never be good enough for God. And that's why those hundreds of thousands and possibly millions of children in Scotland who've been taught in Sunday schools over the years of the 20th century when so many churches forgot the gospel, now be good. That's what Sunday school is about. They were being taught heresy and they were being taught blasphemy. It's not about being good. It's about following Jesus Christ. I once uh, taught that at a, a club that we had in Livingston, and there was a boy who professed to be a Christian, uh, a wee torag, as we might say, and he went home, and uh, his mother asked to see me, and she told me the following story, that he had uh, been asked to do the dishes, and he swore at his mother and told her, no, he wasn't going to do the dishes anymore, because he was now a Christian, and he didn't have to be good and do things. <laughs> So I had to, some explaining to do um, with that and with the child. He hadn't quite grasped the whole concept. But we need to grasp. Sometimes we just don't grasp it. There's a story, I don't know who uses it, but it's a story of a man who uh, puts five gold coins on his window. It's from one of the early church fathers. He puts five gold coins on his window and 
basically a notice saying, and let anyone who wants take one. And all the adults come and look, but they don't take it. But a child comes, understands that they can take it, they just take it. I think that that is a, a great illustration of where we're at with the gospel. That when the reason that so many people become children when they are younger is not that they're stupider or more susceptible, it's because they trust. Whereas as adults, we're so cynical. Oh, nothing's for free. They're just out for... But what if the gospel is for free? Come buy without money. Come drink wine without cost. Eat bread without having to pay for it. We can sometimes be far too sophisticated in our stupidity, wanting to work everything out, when the reality is that we come as a child to Jesus. I think verse 16 stresses the radical nature of Christianity. He took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. If Jesus had taught the values and reflected the values of the time that he was in, then we'd have another religion and a different church. But he didn't. He fulfilled the prophecy, he shall gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom. He took them in his arms, he put his hands on them, and he blessed them. Strange that the whole touching thing as well. I, I, I don't know if this is a wrong thought, but I just thought, what would child health and safety policy be here? Don't touch the child. You're not allowed to do that. If you're going to go on a school outing, make sure you put on the suntan cream because the teacher's not allowed to put the suntan cream on. What's happened to us? Where have we become like that? We've got a society which is so highly sexualized that pedophilia is such a problem that you can't hug children. You can't do that. Child can't sit on your knee. That's just dreadful. Just really, really dreadful. Christ hugs the child. He lifts the child. He blesses the child. And he does that for all those who in society's eyes are considered relatively worthless. We come to Christ knowing that we have nothing to bring, but knowing that he accepts us. If you're here and you're not a Christian or you're struggling with where you're at and you're thinking, why would Jesus accept me? Why would, how can I follow Jesus Christ? The answer is you come to him not because you can, not because you have this ability, not because you're good. You come because of who he is and what he can do and what he has done. And there is nobody ever in the history of the world, never has been or never will be, who comes to Jesus, whom Christ puts his hands up and says, no. He hugs, he brings those who come to him. He never turns away anyone who comes to him. And I think for those of us who are Christians, there's a sense in which we are to go around blessing as well, to be a blessing. Um, <laughs> lovely thing, so a couple of things I saw in New York about. Um, apparently the thing that's in, in it at the moment is random acts of kindness. You know, walk up to someone and give them a Mars bar. A complete random act of kindness. Well, in a sense, I, you see where that's coming from. But as Christians, we should be doing that all the time. We are people who want to be kind to people. We're not politicians kissing babies because we want to be elected. We are Christians loving children because they are made in the image of God and because ultimately we believe that they are his children. We want them to come and know him and be his children in a deeper and realer sense. May God bless his word to us.